0: This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about the structured settlement industry from the experts in the know. Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years and the only broker you need. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio hosts... Larry Cohen.
1: Welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen from Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're glad you could join us again today. We're coming to you today from the Ringler Associates annual meeting in beautiful Newport Beach, California. And uh, since I just came from Boston, uh, the weather, I want to tell you, is a lot better out here. We're going to be focusing today on a topic that doesn't get much attention, but it's uh, very important to many workers' comp cases, when claimants wrongly assume that Medicare should pay their medical expenses instead of their Medicare set-aside account. And this mistake could lead to some serious and sometimes financially disastrous consequences. My guest today is Mike Westcott. Mike is the new president of the National Alliance of Medicare Set-Aside Professionals, he has more than 20 years of structured settlement experience and claims involving personal injuries, Medicare set-aside, workers' comp, medical malpractice, and reinsurance. And he's really uh, bringing a lot of talent to the new position he holds in the presidency of that organization. So, Mike, welcome to Ringler Radio.
2: Thanks for having
1: me. Well, Mike, we're going to talk uh, today about uh, how we handle some workers' comp issues and uh, some of the workers' comp Medicare set-aside uh, concerns. And then we're going to move uh, after that into the... The, you know, the impending liability uh, issues that are going to arise in July, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. But first, before we do that, let's talk about uh, the workers' comp arena. Under the current laws, what are a claimant's options for how to administer a Medicare set-aside? How, does, how is that done? What are the options?
2: There are basically two options. One is self-administration, where the claimant takes on all the responsibility for submitting a mountain of documents to the federal government. Um, or he can hire a professional administrator. professional administrator submits all those documents, negotiates, keeps track, and works with the federal government if there's a conflict. Um, the examples are endless of, of what happens. To these people who take lump sums and get into messes because they simply don't understand the different fee schedules involved. As um, a quick example, a procedure you go to your doctor for under workers' comp, under the state work comp schedule, costs $40 when they pay work comp carrier pays it. Mm-hmm. Medicare pays $80 for that. But the usual and customary the doctor charges is $120. Mm-hmm. Now you settled your case and the doctor says, if you want to see me, it's $120. You put the claimant in the position of having to negotiate because his MSA is based on the $40 cost Medicare is going to pay 80% of $80 or $64. So even if he sends it, he ends up paying $16. if the doctor says, I don't do Medicare patients, you got to pay me the 115 if he wants to keep seeing him, he's got to pay that difference.
1: Well, I can't imagine any any claimant wanting to take on that kind of a burden. Uh, what What is it that, that would cause someone not to hire the professional administrator?
2: A lot of times, they simply don't understand the burden that's coming down the pike, um, the Information about Medicare set-asides isn't well understood by the claimants or their attorneys. They think once you set this up, it's fine. Uh, And for a lot of them, they may think they can just keep sending the bills to Medicare and Medicare won't catch on. Uh, Unfortunately, they do catch on.
1: Well, how important would be record-keeping in in that regard or or accounting and all that? It's got to be a nightmare for them.
2: Record-keeping is everything because... They have to keep track of every dollar they spend, all the interest they earn on an account, every check they pay out, what it was for, what its medical code was. And they have to do that for the rest of their life. Because if they don't, and a disaster happened, Um, somebody has a low back injury, they think they're fine, they're just taking medications. Five years later, the back goes out on them before Medicare will pay. They have to go back and show where they sent all their MSA money the last five years. Now, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I don't know what gas bills they paid five years uh, ago. <laughs>
1: I know. It, it is amazing. I would assume that there are, there are companies set up around the country that take on this custodial role uh, and there are they do a lit- it for a fee, I assume.
2: Yeah, there are literally hundreds of them. And, and they, what's nice about it is most of them offer two options. One is to just take you through the first year and show you what it is. Mm-hmm. Most claimants who do that figure out a way to pay for their custodian for the rest of their life. Right. Um, but generally speaking, almost every MSA provider in the country is now offering some kind of referee, at least referral to a custodial
1: company. Um,
2: and they run... Anywhere from 1000 to $2,500 a year, depending upon how involved the claim is.
1: Interesting. So for some of our audience members, the the entity that actually calculates what the MSA should be oftentimes can provide through a subsidiary or some other agency, the custodial in- individual that can take them forward from there. Exactly. Well, uh, what happens if, uh, and this always becomes an issue, what happens if the claimant has this MSA set up with money in it and starts spending it on things, and all of a sudden you know, then then they come to Medicare and say, cover these costs that we paid uh, for non-medical issues. What what, what happens there?
2: Um, They have to prove to Medicare where they spent the money. More importantly, uh, the level where Medicare kicks in is called the exhaustion level. So once you exhaust the funds in your Medicare set aside, Medicare will kick in. If you annuitized it, run through a professional administrator, and yours was $2,500 a year, you spend the twenty five hundred dollars, you document to Medicare you spent it, then they pick up. If instead you took fifty thousand in cash, Medicare wants you to spend fifty thousand, prove you spent it only on Medicare eligible items, not the deductibles, not the co-pays, not the rate your doctor charges versus what Medicare charged, but Medicare at Medicare rates.
1: Not a new car. <laughs> and not a new
2: car. And then and only then will they kick it. So that's you know, the trap for the claimant when he takes that lump
1: sum. Yeah, it's it's human nature to, to somehow yeah. screw it up and uh, they're going to get in trouble.
2: Well, all of us have health insurance and we all know the fights you get into with health insurance carriers. Medicare is no different.
1: Well, what about the custodians themselves and the attorneys involved in these cases? Can they be held accountable uh, if things go wrong?
2: Correct. The custodian, if there's a custodial account set up, the all the custodians have the necessary indemnification to protect Medicare's interest and the claimant's interest. When an attorney says my claimant will self-administer, he's in effect telling CMS, my ca- claimant is capable of self-administering. Mm-hmm. When they go looking for money, if the claimant spent all his, the next person they look to is his attorney.
1: Well, are there new reporting rules on, on these uh, MSAs that would cause a, a, an individual to say, "I need a custodian uh, today. is there Is there anything going on that that would say the the kinds of reports that need to be sent in and and the frequency of them is just beyond me?
2: Oh yeah, the um, the, the new reporting rules that come out in July affect workers' comp as well as liability. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to have to do now is report every settlement to CMS and determine if the claimant is eligible for Medicare benefit. For any reason. doesn't have to be related to the accident or the industrial injury. If they're collecting Medicare, a good example is most of the bus drivers you see driving school buses are retirees. Mm. They get hurt at work. They may not have any claims under the Medicare system related to their work-related injury, but they're a Medicare-eligible beneficiary. That's going to red yeah, flag Based them. on
1: their age. or yeah. yeah, exactly. So to sum up just very briefly now, your opinion, what is preferable for a, for a claimant out there who's involved in, in this kind of a situation? Self-administer or get a custodian?
2: Self-administer is taking on nothing but risk for the claimant. It's just foolishness. If someone said to you, take a $50,000 risk or have a professional handle it for you, which would you do?
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break right now because when we come back, I want to get right into the uh, some of the... Uh, Conceptions and misconceptions about the July reporting as as uh, concerns liability claims and I know our audience is going to be very interested in hearing about that. So let's take a break. We'll be right back.
0: This is Ringler Radio. Legal information, trends and topics from Ringler Associates, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for more than 30 years. Since 1975 Wrangler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys. Experience counts. Over 140,000 cases structured. This is Wrangler Radio. From Wrangler Associates, placing more than $20 billion in structures over the past 30 years. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. This is Wrangler Radio celebrating three years on the Legal Talk Network with topics important to the legal community. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to Ringler Radio. It's free. Did you know the number of listeners to Ringler Radio doubled in 2008? Thanks to our loyal listeners and welcome to all our new listeners as well.
1: Welcome back. I'm Larry Cohen, your host for Ringler Radio, and I'm here today with my guest, Michael Westcott. Mike is the president of the National Alliance of Medicare Set-Aside Professionals. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about now about the uh, upcoming July uh, date for some new new events around liability claims. Uh, and I know they affect workers' comp as well, but we want to leave workers' comp aside for a moment to talk about the liability side. Uh you know, Mike, I go to a lot of mediations and at these mediations, everyone's aware of what's coming down in some bits and pieces. And I always hear little misconceptions or, or, or concerns that I'm not sure are really there. So I want to talk to you about some of the things I've heard. uh, And let's talk about what the reality is. Okay. Fine. For example, in July, as, as uh, regards liability claims, some people think that we are immediately going to have to do Medicare set-aside trust for liability cases. And other people say, no, it's simply we have to report the claims. We have nothing to do with Medicare set-asides. Tell us about that. What's the, what's the reality?
2: Certainly. The, the full focus here in July is what's called conditional payment liens. Um, it's not on the future medical. It's on the medical that's been paid by Medicare for a claimant because no one's ever denied medical treatment. If they go in and they don't have insurance and they're on Medicare, they're obviously covered. So Medicare would have paid, even though somebody else is responsible for that payment. Uh, Medicare hasn't been able to keep track of that very well. Uh, they don't know when you go in if it's from a car accident or what. They just pay the bill. They're health. They act like a health insurance carrier. Unlike normal health insurance carriers, they don't put you on notice of a lien. So the reporting requirement allows Medicare to track. When a claimant who received medical treatments from Medicare settled an insurance claim, liability or otherwise, and it will tell them, hey, we may have a lien issue out here. Uh, This is a real strong enforcement effort, but it's also an information-gathering effort. It's not focused on the future medical, so Medicare set-asides that we see in comp aren't involved in this at all. Right now, it's gathering information and getting those liens resolved.
1: So let me bring it down to the level of an individual who's handling a claim desk. At, at some point after July, they're going to be required to file a report with Medicare, with CMS, Correct. which has certain data fields on that report. I'm assuming one would be social security number. And somehow that would match up with their records at Medicare to say they paid this individual something. And there's a lien sitting out there that needs to get satisfied by this claimant within this claim. Correct. Um, what what is the responsibility of the claimant the claim handler the attorney the plaintiff attorney to make sure that this lien is taken care of uh, when the claim is settled
2: oh it's huge the uh, carrier involved in the case is called a responsible reporting entity and they're going to have they're they're charged with reporting the, the information if they don't report the
1: information there's a $1000 day fine so let me stop you there $1,000 a day fine uh, assessed against the claim handler company uh, if the claim handler in that company handling the case doesn't report appropriately and timely the information to, to Medicare as to the fact that this case is settled. Correct. Okay. So that's going to require you know, real significant monitoring of the settlement dates of these cases.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's gonna, it's gonna mean keeping track of the information and it's gonna be another form they're gonna have to fill out. It's about 45 items on a, on a computer screen.
1: Well, and let me stop you for one second. I know one of the questions a claim handler listening today would say is what is defined as the, the settlement day when is that claim that liability claim settled is it when the the check goes out to, to the claimant when the release is signed when the negotiations occur do we have a, a, a good fix on when that thousand dollar a day penalty starts to starts to run
2: um the thousand dollar a day is going to start to run essentially once we've agreed on the dollar amount of the settlement. And then you're going to have to resolve the liens mm-hmm. and then go forward to the final settlement date. So you're really telling them, we've agreed to settle this case for $300,000. Now we're going to check on your lien, we're going to pay the lien, and then we're going to distribute the money.
1: Well, you know, this, this finding of the past liens, which is really what this is all about, at least in the early stages of this uh, liability scenario, uh, They're there to discover if the liens have been repaid or not repaid. Now, let's assume over time, uh, in the the settlement agreement, there's hold harmless language that says the plaintiffs are responsible for satisfying any liens, known or unknown. Does that let the liability carrier off the hook if for some reason the plaintiff doesn't pay this lien back?
2: CMS isn't a party to that agreement. I know they're not. So you would have a cause of action between the carrier and the the claimant and the claimant's attorney for not doing it. But ultimately, CMS says you're the responsible reporting party, you carrier. You're responsible for getting us that information. So
1: you're a claim handler. You've paid the $100,000 to settle the claim. You put language in the settlement agreement that says you're going to be indemnified against any liens. The claimant blows the money, spends it out there. The the plaintiff attorney is certainly sitting out there uh, at risk. Correct. For, for having CMS come to them for that money. But you're also saying that the claim carrier themselves would also be at risk. Correct, because okay.
2: they're the reporting part.
1: Okay, I hope we've covered that in, in pretty much detail for everybody. Let's, let's deal with the second issue here, Mike. It seems as if to the extent there's going to be any future Medicare set-asides in the liability arena, and that'll come over time because this thing is going to develop. One of the things I think this this Information gathering is going to do is to determine the the vastness of how many claims there are and how how difficult this all may be. And it's possible that the uh, CMS may set thresholds. You know, a claim over $250,000 needs to get reported in, but something under that may not. Correct. As an example. Uh, What's interesting to me is if a claim handler has a case and he's about to settle it for $150,000, under my example, which would not require reporting but let's say they use a structured settlement to settle that case so that $150,000 case if you look at the yield side is is really going to be generating $350,000 will that trigger the need to report if there's if there's a 250,000 threshold in other words does the does the use of annuity in a structure somehow you know work against a claim handler having to report because they're looking at the yield, or are you guys, Are you folks trying to uh, alert and educate CMS as to why the, the structures are very important and very uh, wise things to use and shouldn't penalize the claim handler?
2: I, I think it's important to remember they haven't promulgated any rules yet. Good. So without, with the <laughs> absence of rules, uh, we have the opportunity to at least talk to them. Uh, last week, I was at the National Structured Settlement Trade Association meeting down in Orlando and had conversations with the members of that group, uh, in effect saying we need to go together to CMS and say, listen, structured settlements are critical to making this work. They're advantageous for everybody, and in particular, they're advantageous for CMS if you work with us on it. Uh, A classic example being that it's a spendthrift provision, as opposed to giving the claimant a lump sum of cash and saying you take care of it, an annuity is going to pay over a long period of time. It become a lifetime benefit so social security knows or cms knows that they're always going to have some money coming in and more importantly it's advantageous to the settlement process because it present values the future medical as we present value everything else in the process
1: very interesting and I'm, i'm i'm hoping for sure that you go to cms and try to get that resolved because that that seems like it's counter counterintuitive another issue is uh the effect of these rules on the actual size of the claim settlement itself. Uh, some some people have said that, for example, when a when a plaintiff presents a life care plan to try to, in essence, enhance the value of the case, oftentimes they'll provide what we call a Cadillac or a Rolls-Royce type plan, you know, with a lot of puffery in it. Uh, and Essentially, if it comes time that there is future, the need to concern ourselves with future medical and a set-aside approach, couldn't a, uh, an attorney be kind of hoisted on their own petard? In other words, have, uh, have such a big life care plan that Medicare would say, if you think there's going to be that much future medical, you have to set aside those funds, which would really cause the claimant to have less in their pocket and really be, be counter to having these cases settled in, a, in an appropriate way.
2: Exactly on point. I think um, and one of our hopes here is for all parties involved, claimant as well as the defendant, that it's going to take some of the puffery out of these life care plans. Because Medicare only pays for certain things and at certain rates. And if a claimant is Medicare eligible, obviously it's going to change the future value. If you're going to do an MSA that in theory takes care of all hospitalizations and doctor bills and costs 100000 It's pretty hard to support a life care plan that says you need a million dollars. More importantly, by uh, using an annuity on that MSA, which we hope to get CMS more in line with us on, we're going to be able to present value that future stream of payment. And this works to everybody's interest. I mean, we all know the plaintiff attorneys are smart enough to find Other places to ask for more money.
1: Pain and suffering. (laughs) Right.
2: But it'll give us a more reasonable dialogue. Uh, Just like having a health insurance carrier look at a life care plan and say, we don't pay for half that stuff.
1: So what I I sense here is that the subjective nature of liability cases in terms of the life care planning and all those elements that go into it might get laid against the template of the more objective Social Security or Medicare uh, assessments of how things get paid. And life care planners themselves will, instead of presenting Rolls-Royce plans, will present more of a Buick. Correct.
2: And I, and I think they'll also do a much better job of coordinating. One of the examples we use is spinal cord stimulators. Oftentimes, a spinal cord stimulator is a electronic pain device uh, frequently installed in people with low back injuries. A lot of life care planners put in a replacement of this $25,000 unit every five years. Yeah, right. Medicare says it's every seven years. We got a 30-year life expectancy. There's a there's a real good chance that life care planners in the future, knowing it may be an MSA, we use that MSA seven-year standard rather than their current five-year standard.
1: Well, as all of you can tell, this is going to be a very interesting time for all of us. Uh, I think I think in some ways, CMS has put the fear factor in all of us. Uh, we're, we're afraid of $1,000 a day penalties. We're afraid of uh, doing the right thing or not. Uh, it's going to take coordination, education, uh, a lot of information going out. And hopefully Ringle Radio will continue to provide that kind of education to our audiences. So with that, uh, Mike, if someone wants to get in touch with you, how would they do that?
2: Um, they can contact me through the National Alliance of Medicare set aside. Uh, we have a website, uh, www.namsap.org, or they can contact me through my Ringler contact uh, just by going to the Ringler website, and they can be directed to me.
1: Terrific. Well, it's good to have you in that position, of president of that organization. I know you're going to be working very hard in the next few months, uh, and I want to thank you for all your efforts. So everyone out there, I want you to take this uh, to heart. It's going to be a lot of change in the way we handle claims, but... Uh, That's what it's all about in this world. Nothing ever stays the same. So all of you now, go out and have a great day, and uh, hope to see you again soon. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. Ringler Associates, experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to injured parties and their attorneys, Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General Structured Settlements, The Hartford, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.